that you have chosen to be here today to worship. We're in the book of Daniel today. So turn to the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is a book in the Bible that's uh, past the middle of the Bible. It's after Ezekiel. So you have Psalms and later on Isaiah, Jeremiah are big books and Ezekiel and then Daniel. So Daniel chapter four is where our study of God's word starts today. And it is quite a uh, chapter. And I hope and pray that God will give us wisdom as we have it read into our hearts today. I'll read part of it and, it, and then we will uh, stop and we'll get to see what God has to say. But I'll go ahead and start in Daniel chapter 4 because it's, a, it's quite a, a, a chapter. What's amazing about it is that this chapter was not written by a good man. It was not written by a prophet. It was not written by somebody who was an assistant to a prophet or a secretary. It wasn't written by a particularly religious man at all. It was written by a king who was from another country, not even an Israelite king. It was from Babylon, and his name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he wrote a whole chapter of the Bible, which is quite amazing if you think about it, because, you know, God chose to have this man write this chapter. And so we'll start and let's see what he had to say. It's important. It's very important because uh, I believe in our day, we need to have confidence in what God's word says, because I don't feel like we can trust people very much, frankly, but we'll, 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 we'll trust God and let's see what Nebuchadnezzar says. So he says in verse one of chapter four of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Well, that's all of us. I'm, I am now reading a letter that God preserved in his word to all people, nations, uh, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's us. So we are in that category. This letter was written to us. Remember this. You know, we have the letter of, of Paul to the Ephesians, the letter of Peter that he wrote, the letters of John, the letters of James. So this is the letter of Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a disciple. He wasn't hardly anything but a great king. But here's what he has to say to us. And he's talking to you and me. So just put your name right in there, to you, your name. He's talking to us. So it must be important. And I don't think most of you recall this letter. I don't think that if I had given you a test before we came in, I said, can you recall the letter that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote you? Vicki, would you have remembered that? Uh, Walter, would you have remembered that, that letter? <laughs> so Nebuchadnezzar wrote this letter to us 2,500 years ago. So, but it's lasted a long time. It must be important. So he's writing to all people, everybody who dwells in all the earth. That's us. He says, peace be multiplied to you. Well, that's nice, good, common words. We, I want peace. <laughs> I'm tired of war. I'm tired of frustration. I'm tired of grief. I'm tired of struggle. I'm tired of having stress. How many of you are just looking forward to another week of stress? Raise your hand. How many of you are looking forward to more uh, difficulties in life and, and going through all kinds of hard times? No, we're not. So he says, peace be multiplied to you. And I like that. Let's, let's have peace uh, multiplied to all of us. 
Now, this is what Nebuchadnezzar says in his letter, verse 2. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. This is a testimony. This is a testimony by a king who killed people and ordered them dead at a whim. That's the kind of man you're dealing with. You're not dealing with a man who is some soft, touchy-feely person. This man was a strong uh, king who, if you didn't go along with him, you got uh, dealt with severely. So let's keep going. Verse 3, how great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion is from generation to generation. That means that God is in charge from generation to generation. And guess what? We're one of those generations. He's in charge now. And he's always been in charge for every generation. Nebuchadnezzar realizes this. He's telling us about it. And he's going to give us a story, folks, that is amazing. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, Chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. So what was was he doing? He's saying, look, I had a bad dream. It's weird. It, It bothered me. I was really upset. I asked all the experts. Nobody could figure it out. But then I went to Daniel, whose name here is uh, Belteshazzar, I believe he called him. Yeah, Belteshazzar. And uh, he, he said he knows. He's not afraid of dreams. He's not afraid. He can find it out. So he goes to him. And, and so he's going to tell us this weird dream. And it is weird, but hey, it's understandable. At least we can figure it out. So here's the dream. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So it's a big tree, it's healthy, it's huge, it's, everybody knows it's got great power and glory and all kinds of creatures are benefiting from its existence. Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. 
Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the basest of men. And uh, may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. It's part of it. Uh, so this is a strange dream. If you had this dream, you wouldn't know what it means, and I'm sure I wouldn't have known either. And uh, that's our first thing we're looking at, was this troubling dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it's troubling him because there's a problem with him. He has a problem. And this problem is a universal problem of people with great success and with people who have everything, is that they tend to make mistakes. <clears throat> And this was the problem with King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's look at the context of this dream. What kind of life was he living? Well, first he was pros prosperous. He enjoyed prosperity. He was rich, he had everything. So he had all these things. Now there's nothing necessarily wrong in being prosperous, but that's one key factor here because we're gonna add to this ingredient, not only is prosperity one of the things he has, but he also has comfort. He's living comfortably. He's in his nice palace. He's relaxing. Uh, and not only is he enjoying comfort, but he's very complacent. I mean, he is, he is absolutely thinks He's got it made. He is not worried about anything. He's not even looking out to try to, to protect anything. He's basically uh, enjoying life, living large. And then, of course, the last ingredient that he has is that he's very arrogant. He's proudful. And this is, when you combine these four things, prosperity, comfort, complacency, that is, you're not even looking to try to do the right thing. You're just going to let things go. Let things go. Ever, anybody ever, do, you ever done that before? When you just punt, you know, in football, you can punt the ball. When you can't get a first down, you punt, you give it up. And that's what people do. I think people give up and don't try to actually do their duty. You know, a king, you can say what you want to about a king, but if they're a good king, they deserve every bit of money they have, all the money they've got because they have more worries. If they're doing their job, they're going to try to work for the people and try to help the people. You know, God puts a person in a position of authority to help people. If you're not helping people, then God can take you from authority. So a good king deserves, in my opinion, a good living because you sacrifice so much as king. Your life is no longer a private life. You don't have the normal life of a normal citizen. You have a life of great obligation and duty. But you see, Nebuchadnezzar didn't look at his kingdom as a duty or as an obligation to help others. He, just, he was just in it for himself. What am I going to get out of this? You know, what am I going to get out of this? 
And when politicians and authority figures are only interested in their own prosperity, their own comfort, their own complacency, and then they're arrogant about it, that is a lethal combination, folks. It's very bad. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he had all those check marks going against him. And that is why he has the dream, a very troubling dream. Uh, and it's very difficult to understand. But we're going to find out because after we see the troubling dream, we have the sobering decree. Let's read what this decree was. Now, we're going to, uh, he goes to Daniel, and in verse number 18, Nebuchadnezzar tells us, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, is talking to Daniel here, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So when you look at this, he goes to Daniel because he has read the sobering decree that's in verse number 17. Now, how do you explain it? This is a very hard thing to understand. How, how would you interpret it? If you had heard what 17 says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. So there is some sort of mysterious deliberation going on in the courts of heaven here that somebody, whoever this is, the watchers and the holy ones are making these decisions over Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't know whether this is referring straight to God or maybe to the angels. Now, I don't pretend to understand everything about angels, and, and neither do you, but in the Christmas story, angels had a part, did they not? <laughs> we sang a song about angels from the realms of glory. So let me just say this. Don't get too upset about trying to figure out what the, how the angels operate, okay? That's, not, that's above our pay grade. We really don't know. I can tell you for a fact that we don't have even, this, even one percentage point of understanding this universe. So we, we don't understand. The Bible says that humans were made a little lower than the angels. So since we're not even as high as the angels right now, uh, to try to get us to understand what the angels are going through is sort of like getting a four-year-old to figure out calculus. You know, they're just not going to. And we're not understanding it. So I'm not going to waste your time today and explain how God has organized the heavens because that's not given to us. We don't know. We have little clues. We know there's some archangels, which means high angels. Michael is one of them and Gabriel. But we don't understand all this. So what God does in his infinite wisdom is he allows his angels to go out here and operate the universe. They have power that's unseen, but we see what happens because they're operating. We don't know it. We don't understand it, but they're sort of in charge here. But then God himself, notice here, is the reason why they are going to exercise their power in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, there is a great purpose. Because not only are, is there this mysterious deliberation of these beings, the watchers, the holy ones. I think they're angels. I just don't know what their roles are, but they have this authority. And then in order that the living may know, 
that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. See, God has a preeminent purpose in this. And that purpose is to let us know, the living, that God actually is in charge of the governments of men. He's in charge. He is watching over it, and he can do great things. And notice the last part of verse 17, and this is the the key here. He says that he's talking about the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will. Do you hear that? He gives it to whomever he will. And I think that sometimes I get upset because of the direction of the world, but really, God gives power to whomever he will. And notice he says, and sets over it the basis, the lowest of men. I actually heard people uh, speaking about a certain man who happens to be president of the United States at this time. <laughs> and, and, and today's date is uh, December the 13th, I believe, of uh, the year of our Lord, 2020. So, uh, and, and they said, because they didn't like words that this current president made, they said God would never support that man as president. Well, that directly contradicts this verse <laughs> because this verse says he can put whoever he wants to in power. And if he wants to take the basis of men, I don't care what kind of language he's used. I don't care how vulgar he is. He can make that person powerful because guess what? God makes those decisions. God makes those decisions. It's very important to understand that in the end, God has ultimate veto power of all people. No one is above God. Remember when Jesus was in front of Pilate, Pilate said, don't you know I have the power to kill you and power to let you go free? Jesus said you would have no power at all, at all if it had not been given to you from above. So in the end, let's don't get too caught up right now worrying about this court and this senator, this congressman, this legislature, whatever, I'm going to tell you right now that God is going to be in charge one way or the other. It might be bad, maybe good in the short term, but God is going to take care of us. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, it wasn't looking good. It was not looking good. So God has a preeminent purpose. He, is, he gave this dream to the king so that the king would realize something's going to go wrong. But the purpose was that the living, us, we would know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. He gives it to whomever he will, sets over it the lowest of men. So God has that power. Now, let's learn about the interpretation. It's a very challenging interpretation. So what is the interpretation? So in verse 19, Daniel tells us, and his name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him, so the king spoke and said. So what happens is he hears this dream, and then God kind of reveals to him, and Daniel's upset over it. Daniel likes Nebuchadnezzar. He prays for Nebuchadnezzar. He loves Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar has done Daniel right because Daniel has done him right. And so Daniel is upset because something bad's about to happen. He's upset. Daniel is troubled. 
He's a prophet of the Lord. He works for the greatest kingdom on earth, and yet he is troubled. And he really doesn't want to tell the king <laughs> what's coming. He doesn't really want to do it. But notice what he says here. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. <laughs> so he says, he says, I hope, I'm hoping this happens to your enemies, not to you. So he's really upset. He's still kind of not telling the king what's going on. Okay, but he does. In verse 20, then the tree, he says, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and with which could be seen or which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant and which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwell and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and, and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the most high, which has come upon my Lord, the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of, and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. So this is, that's pretty amazing. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So what Daniel says is that this is gonna to happen to you, O king. You're gonna lose everything. You're gonna basically have some very bad times. And until you realize God's in charge. And if you don't realize God's in charge, you're not going to do well. And you need to stop some of the things you're doing wrong. And you need to start taking care of the people who are poor, who can't take care of themselves. You need to start doing something because, oh, king, God might have mercy and extend you. And so you don't lose everything. So that's what Daniel's saying. He's saying, you got an opportunity here. He's warning you. And, uh, and yet... Let's find out what happens. So in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? So he's just bragging. He's looking around. He's all satisfied. He's probably looking at the great walls, the hanging gardens of Babylon, all the mighty wonders of the world he's got there in this magnificent city that you can ride around these massive walls with chariots three abreast around the entire city. It's amazing. 
And yet, he started thinking, I really am something, aren't I? Folks, please, let's, let's, let's make sure and slap ourselves. When we start thinking we got it, we, we're really something, we need to be careful because pride comes before a fall. And, and it says, here's, here is what Nebuchadnezzar tells us in our letter. Remember, this is a letter to us. Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen, his body was wet with the dew of heaven and his ha- his, till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. That's a, that's a big fall. His whole kingdom was stolen from him and he lost his mind and he's living like an animal. Living like an animal. That's not what I call an exalted place. He was way up here. Now he's way down there. I heard a story of a woman who was having a problem. She locked her keys in her car and she was on the side of the road for some reason and and she was in distress. Suddenly, a rough looking guy riding a motorcycle uh, pulled up and he's all tattooed and, and, you know, just looked like a rough guy. I mean, he just looked like a guy you would think, you know, tough guy. He had uh, the leather, he had everything. You know, he fit the the type. And uh, she said, oh, I've... Lord, I want somebody to help me, and that's when that guy stopped. So she prayed that God would help her to get in her car. So the guy pulls up, and so she, uh, he gets in there, and 15 seconds, he gets in the car. And she says, oh, you're such a wonderful man. Thank you, Lord, you sent such a good man to help me. He said, ma'am, I'm not a good man. I just got out of jail. Uh, I'm really not a good man. I, I got out of jail for auto theft. The woman said, she hugged him even more and she said, Lord, thank you that you sent a professional. (laughs) You know, God can steal anything from us. He can do whatever he wants, wherever our treasures are. Make sure our treasures are in heaven because thieves can't steal that. But I'll tell you what, God stole, took away Nebuchadnezzar's throne because of his pride, made him live like an animal. That's, that's not good. That's a very bad period of time. Uh, and so let's, let's read what happens next because fortunately, folks, uh, the sentence gets carried out, but that's not the end of the story. And as Paul Harvey says, we got to read the rest of the story. So verse 34, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Now those times are years. So it was seven years. He was in a horrible situation. Seven years. That's a long time to suffer. And he was living like an animal. And he got that way because of his pride. But at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Hey, when you're at the bottom, there's no better place to do than look up. And and my understanding returned to me And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives 
forever. So the first thing he does when he gets his right mind is he looks to heaven and he praises God Almighty. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Did you hear that one? Doesn't matter. People, people compared to God, they're nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, he, God's not accountable to us for any of this. He can do whatever he wants. He can make life miserable for us. He can make life good for us. But we need to recognize his divine power. Yes, there's a lot of evil in the world, a lot of bad things going on in this world. But God is in charge. But there's no guarantee that we're going to escape hard times and suffering. This world is not fair. Uh, there's many places in the Bible that prove this. Was it fair that Cain killed Abel? No, it certainly was not fair. Was it fair that King Saul treated David like he was a traitor to his own country and kicked him out of the nation? No, it was not fair. Was it fair that Jeremiah was uh, put in jail for just preaching the truth? The answer is no, it was not fair. Was it fair when Daniel got thrown into the lion's den? No, it was not fair. Was it fair when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put into the fiery furnace? No, it was not fair. And was it fair that Jesus was crucified on a cross? No, it was not fair. Was it fair that James, a disciple of Jesus, was killed with a sword shortly after the Holy Spirit had come down from Pentecost? No, it was not fair. Was it fair that the Apostle Paul, in virtually every city he went to, had, uh, was under legal problems, sued at courts of law, put in jail, beaten, scourged, and treated like he was a horrible human being? No, it wasn't fair. So today, our attitude as Christians in our own time with all of the political troubles and all of the troubles that people are facing with the pandemic and everything else, we might want to say, oh, we want to have a perfectly fair world. But folks, this world isn't fair and there's no guarantee it. But there is a king in glory and he is in charge. And through all of these events, God never forsook any of these people. Some people, things go bad for them in this world, but God gives them a greater reward in heaven. And some people get great victories on this earth. Daniel was in the lion's den, but he got out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got put into fiery furnace, but God got in there with him, with them and saved their lives. So God is helping us. Whether bad things happen or good, he's in charge. And, and we don't ever need to forget that. It's not all up to us. It's up to God. Many things are up to God. And this man, the greatest king of his generation, he was in trouble, but he went to the Lord and he asked God Almighty for help. So in verse 36, we'll conclude with the end of Nebuchadnezzar's letter. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. He got the power back. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom 
and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, now this is a confession by a king who had killed people, folks, ordered their deaths and didn't think a thing about it. Here's a man who was not a good guy, but he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. So the biggest thing I could say today is that we could get protection from courts. We could get protection from armies. We could get protection from legislatures and laws. But I would sacrifice all of that if I had the protection of God. <laughs> and, and, and the one way that you can never win is if you have pride. Because pride brings you down. And that's where we need to be humble. Let's, let's let those who are trying to hurt our country, let's let them be arrogant. Let's see how long that lasts. Let's see how long that they last in their arrogance and pride and what they try. Let's see how long that lasts. Because I'm going to tell you right now, God brought down Nebuchadnezzar worse than bringing him down to his knees and humbled him to where he confessed that God, the true God, the God that we worship is God. That's why Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, in heaven. And he was not a good guy. There's many people like that. You don't have to be a good guy. God can use anybody he wants to use for his purpose. So stop listening to people who say, I don't like this person because I don't like their personality. I don't like this person because they're not good. It doesn't matter. It matters what God says. God's able to do whatever he wants and he chooses whom he wants. Do you think Peter was the greatest of men? Do you think that Peter had a foul mouth as a fisherman? You know, if you really want to know what some of those disciples were like, you should watch some of these fishing shows up there in Alaska, you know, where they have Alaskan crabs. I, they have to bleep out half the language they use, don't they? I mean, it's crazy. These people are just working people. They don't have the, 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 the best education. They don't have the best uh, manners, but they still are human beings. And God can use whoever he wants. So we got to get out of that little game, it says, I'm better than you and I'm better than this. No, you just got to trust God. God's able to raise up, but he's, he's able to tear down. It may be that we're not worthy to have good leadership. It may be that God allows things to go in a bad direction. It's up to God. We do what we can. We pray and we seek his face. We fight on and we know that God has got our back because he's watching. He's got the watchers watching. <laughs> He's got the holy ones. And if the decree comes against you, you know, you're, you're in trouble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this day and I thank you for the message of your word that was given to us by a king who was great in power and great in pride. And Lord, I don't want his pride to be something that uh, we share. I want you to forgive us of our own pride. And I want you to help us as a nation to humble ourselves and to seek your face. Inspire us, Lord, by these words so that we can learn the lesson from this letter that was written to every one of us so that we know that you're in charge even when men think they are. And I ask for your comfort. And, and I ask that whatever we suffer as a country, that you would drive us to praise you, to honor you, and to exalt your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.